So, 146 sermons, and four years later, we come to the end of the book of Luke. Wow, huh? Kind of encouraging. I am very, very thankful for God's grace and being able to walk down through this amazing gospel, seeing over and over the glory of our Lord Jesus. So far in, in, in our ministry here at Grace Bible Church, we have made our way through the Gospel of John the Gospel, and all of his epistles and Revelation. And, we are, and we've made it through the Gospel of Luke. Very thankful. God's Word is good. Just long to uh, continue to preach through the Bible with you. Not to mention on Sunday nights the numerous books we've gone through in the Old Testament. Thankful for that too. And God is so good to us. The book, divinely inspired by God here, that God has given us in the Gospel of Luke. We've come to know Jesus better, haven't we? We know the truth about who He is and what He's about. The book was written to give a clear presentation of the person and work of Jesus Christ and Dr. Luke accomplished it perfectly by the Spirit's divine grace. Let's briefly walk down through the book. and I, I, I did this this week. And go, Take your Bibles, look over at Luke chapter 1, and we're just going to kind of make our way through Luke real briefly. And some of the verses that kind of stuck out, stuck out in my head um, as I was going through this, verses that reminded me of the glory of Christ, Verses for us to keep in mind and think on. Again, the Bible is all about revealing God to us. And ultimately, the Gospels are all about revealing primarily the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and showing us who He is and what He's about. It's very interesting to me that if you look at the New Testament the, the content or the, the main subject of the, the New Testament is Jesus Christ. But we know that one of the members of the Trinity is behind the scenes working within the writers to write, right? That's the Spirit. But He's exalting Jesus Christ. And it's about His ministry of redemption. And you see this throughout the New Testament. And so as we make our way through, we see in Luke, we see great things about our Lord. For example, we see that Jesus is great. In Luke 1.32, the angel said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. What a start to the book, huh? The angels announcing who Jesus would be. Jesus is the Savior, as we know from the angels talking to the shepherds. And he says, they, they say, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, the one who can save us from our sins. This is the one that is here. Then in Luke 3, we see Jesus is the Son. And literally the Father speaks from heaven. And he says, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. These are glorious words. 
the father is pleased with the son. Don't you think we should be pleased with him too? It is about him. It's about Christ. Let's, let's honor him. Let's enjoy him. He brings pleasure to the father. Jesus had the spirit upon him. Jesus talking to his own hometown said these words in Luke 4, 18 to 19. He said that he fulfills these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he says that. This has been fulfilled and he sits down. He is the one that does this. He is the one that gives good news to the poor. He is the one that preaches release to the captives. And we see this throughout his ministry. Then fifth, we see Jesus of Nazareth is the Holy One of God. Now, where this comes from is is interesting because it comes from the demons. In Luke 4, 34, a demon is literally speaking. It says, let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, the set-apart One of God. In Luke 4, 41, the demons also were coming out of many people and shouting, You are the Son of God. By the way, just a side note here. Just because you know facts about Jesus means absolutely nothing, doesn't it? The question is, is we've gone through the book of Luke. We've heard all these truths about how great Jesus is. You might be able to fill your own commentary on Luke. But do you know Him? Is He your Lord? Is He the one that you live for? Is He the one you delight in? Is He the one you exalt? Is He your life? That's what it's about. Christ, the Lord. Because after all, He is also the Son of Man who forgives sin. Look at Luke 5, 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Now what is this? Remember, this was when He healed the paralytic. But they were questioning because he said, your sins are forgiven. Nobody, no human can say that except the one God-man, Jesus Christ. And he says, you know how I can say that? You know why I have the authority to say that you are forgiven? Because I have the authority to do anything on earth because I am Lord. Literally, he heals the paralytic to show that he has that authority. Jesus is the one who forgives. Isn't that glorious news? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We see that in 6.5. Jesus said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the great prophet. The people, after a healing, fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. Jesus is not just another man. 
Jesus is the prophet sent from God. He is the one we live for. He is the one we serve. Jesus is the healer. In Luke 7, 24, it says, Go and report to John the Baptist what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor, man, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Oh, folks, get this, get this, get this. This book is about Christ. It's about Jesus. And we want to know him. We want to serve him. We want to understand him. We need to pursue him. He is our healer. Now, Jesus is also the son of the Most High. In Luke 8, 28, it says... The man possessed with many demons named Legion in Luke 28 states this. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said with a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The demons get it. By the way, another clear representation here that just because you have a fear of judgment from Jesus isn't enough. It's a wild thought. Just because you say, oh yeah, you have the power to put me in torment, doesn't mean that you are right with God. The demons had that. They knew who he was. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is everything. He's not just a, our judge. He's also our Savior. He's the Most High. He's the Son of the Most High. Jesus is the Christ of God, as Peter said in Luke 9.20. You are the Christ of God, the Son of the living God, as the other Gospels say. Jesus is the Son, the Father's chosen one. And again, twice in Luke's account, the Father literally speaks out and says, This is Jesus. And He says this, This is My Son, My chosen one. Listen to Him. Then in 13, we see Jesus is the son of David. The blind man called out to Jesus in Luke 18, 38, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He had mercy on him. 15, Jesus is the king. Or 14, Jesus is the one who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said this, For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. These are great truths, aren't they? Do they ring in your heart? Are they just these like, oh yeah, 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 this is who Jesus is. No, these are just like, this is everything to us who are believers, isn't it? He's why we're delivered. He came and pursued me in my sin. He's a glorious Savior, isn't He? He's why we're here today, right? He's why we study this book. I want to know Him more. We do everything because of Him, because of who He is and what He did. He came to seek us and to save us. Jesus is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. As the disciples shouted as, they made, as Jesus made His way into the Jerusalem in Luke 19... Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They praised Him as the King of the Jews. 16, Jesus is the stone which the builders rejected. But Jesus looked at them as they were plotting against Him to kill Him. Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but to, on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus is our hope. His people rejected Him, but He is our hope. He is the foundation of the church. He is all that the church is about. We all are about exalting Christ as Lord. He's the one. Jesus is the Lord. In Luke 20, 42, for David himself says, remember he was talking to the Pharisees and and confronted them and said, look, look, who is this Christ? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Christ was not just another man. The Christ was Lord God incarnate. The one who makes us and sustains us and we breathe. He is Lord. 18th we see Jesus will come in a cloud with power and glory. Jesus is revealed as the glorious Son to come in Luke 21. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Oh, this is great truth. Jesus is going to come back. And He is going to be shown to be the Lord God incarnate, coming and reigning. He is the one who will come. Jesus was the Passover lamb. As we saw in the Last Supper, He's the fulfillment of the Passover supper. And he's the, He was the coming sacrifice of the new covenant that would happen the next night. In Luke 22, 19 to 20, he says this when taking the bread, he said, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, this is our Lamb. This is the Lamb that died for us. All these truths, all these things that we've learned about Christ, how do they impact our life? How do we live now based on who He is? You know, there's this gigantic debate that has gone around about lordship salvation. Whether or not we should obey God or whether obedience is is a part of salvation. Is obedience a part of salvation? Well, we're not, we're not saved by what we do, but is obedience a part of our salvation? Without a shadow of a doubt, 
You know why? Because if you know these truths about who Jesus is, obedience is not something that you just might do. Obedience is something you want to do. We want to obey our king. We want to obey the one who shed his blood for us. Don't we? Is there such a thing as a Christian that doesn't want to obey? No. Is there such a thing as a Christian that walks completely away from the faith? No. The direction of our life is to obey the Master. He came to die for us. Do we sin? Absolutely. And when we do, what do we do? We repent. We find our way right back to that King that died for us. He's our hope. He's our joy. We want to obey. Even if it costs us something, right? Even if it costs us our lives, we want to obey Him, don't we? Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Oh, this is glorious truth. He knows he's Isaiah 53 fulfilled. And he says, I'm going to fulfill it to the T. Jesus is ruling and reigning. Jesus was being interrogated at this point in Luke 22. And he revealed that from then on, he was going to take his position of authority as the Son of God. It says in 22:69, But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Do you understand? That's where he is. Do you understand that Jesus is now Lord? He is reigning right now. He is King of this world. Master. Sovereign. The one who is sitting at the right hand of God. Nothing happens outside of Him. He is the Master. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And He said to them, Yes, I am. And this cost Him His life, right? 22nd, Jesus is the King of the Jews. As He was dying in Luke 24... They were mocking Him to the last moment. If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. (laughs) And then God's divine providence has an inscription written above Him. This is the King of the Jews. Why couldn't He come down off the cross? Why? Because He was the King of the Jews. The King of the Jews had to die. That was God's ordained plan for Him. That's what the king of the Jews would do. Die to pay for sin. And Jesus came to save the least likely. We saw that in verses 39 to 50. I thought of those guys, those people that fit so well with me. Hopefully with you too. The criminals. The centurion. Many in the crowd. And even members of the Sanhedrin. Those were the ones he saved. Those were the ones He died for. Those of us that see that we are the sinners, we are the responsible ones. We're the ones that He died for. And finally, we see Jesus is the living one. In Luke 4, 5, the angel, again, it's interesting, it starts with an angel 
and ends with an angel. Talking about Jesus here. In the last chapter, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Oh, folks, this is a glorious book, isn't it? This is what we see about Christ. He is good, isn't he? If we get to the epistles now and we start reading the epistles, it would make sense, wouldn't it, to obey him? When we see those things like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, if you understand who Christ is and his love for the church, you say, okay, because he loved me. And I want to die for my wife. I want to lay down my life for my wife. The commands in Scripture are not burdensome, especially in the New Testament, as long as Luke and the revelation of Jesus is full in your mind. Where's our hope in this world? Where's our hope? Answer, Jesus. Real simple. There it is. Jesus. Who can we have an all-satisfying relationship with? My wife. No. My kids. Love you guys. But no. My parents. No. Love my parents. Jesus. He's the all-satisfying one. He's the one we find our joy in. Everything goes away, but He remains forever. Find your satisfaction in Him, folks. That's what this book's been about. Knowing Christ. Then last week, we walked down through the third resurrection appearance. And we saw that Jesus appeared to His disciples a third time in verse 36. And the disciples reacted with fear and doubt at Jesus' appearance, revealing once again just how weak we are as humans. If the disciples were doubting and they were looking at Him, how much more can we, who don't see Him, doubt and struggle? That's us, right? But the answer is found in Jesus it's found in the Spirit's work in our heart to remind us of who He is and what He's done. I would argue that the Spirit's favorite subject is the Son. Just as if when the Son was often talking, the Son was often talking about the Father. It is always this way. The Spirit, the Trinity in perfect harmony working to exalt each other. And magnify each other. And in this case, he's magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he does within our soul. The disciples needed that assurance. And his assurance is found that Jesus is good. His word is where I know him. So study to know yourself. Know him more. Because that's where the Spirit works. 
And third, we saw Jesus confirm that he had risen from the dead, and he showed them. And he gave them a threefold revelation of himself and said, Look, you want to know for sure that it's me? Stop doubting. Look. And he exhorted them to recognize his own bodily resurrection. And he ate food to confirm the, of his bodily resurrection. And then finally, he appealed to his word as the confirmation of his resurrection. Jesus is alive. Do I need to prove it? No. That's enough. It's a fact. Jesus is alive. He died and He rose from the dead. The Word says it. It's true. He's alive. Now think about this for a second. What are the implications of this? What are the implications of Jesus being alive? A dead man coming to life? Listen, Muhammad did not rise from the dead. Do you understand? Jesus did. Jesus ascended to heaven. And he's ruling and reigning in heaven. And you know what that means? My life is his. He is God. And that should make all the difference in the world in your lives too. Jesus is not just another man. He is the God-man who requires us to obey Him and serve Him and love Him and enjoy Him. And I'm okay with that, aren't you? His Word proves it. And He showed it. He's alive. So I want to look over, we flew over these last two verses and I want to look closer at verses 46 to 49 as we conclude our passages in Luke. There's a fourth main point here. Jesus gave a summary of his person and work in verses 46 to 49. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. These four verses are a summary of the two volumes set by Dr. Luke. Do you understand what the two volume set is? That is... Uh, Sets are. You have Luke and Acts. Luke and Acts. Luke wrote both of them. It's a two-volume set. And these four verses kind of summarize the whole thing. It gives like a summary of the whole thing. It explains the work of Christ and the response that's required. And it, it explains what the, what's going to happen as a result of Christ's coming that the witness will then go out. And from there, there would be a promise. A promise of the Spirit to come to give empower people in order to proclaim this truth. In, in, in order for the disciples to proclaim it. I want you to notice there's four main points here that Jesus made. First, He says, and He points to His work. And then the response, the witness, and the promise. Look at the work. You see this in verse 46. 
And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead. Now I'll tell you, as I've thought through this, often I think to myself, Mike, you sound like a broken record. You talk about Christ crucified all the time. It's like you're always talking about Jesus dying. Why do you do that? I mean, he rose from the dead. Why don't you just talk about him living all the time? Well, the, the funny thing is, is that as I go through the scriptures, it's like this is continuously reminding. He's continuously saying it. Everywhere I look, as I go through the Gospel of Luke, he continues to go back that he died and he rose from the dead. Why? Because the Gospel is the crucial, most important fact. It's who he is at the cross. What happened at the cross? Payment for sin. Redemption is provided. Atonement. A propitiation. All these truths, we've got to have them. We've got to know them. And listen... When you look through the epistles, it's repeated everywhere, isn't it? Constantly, they're talking about Jesus crucified. Why are they always talking about Jesus crucified? I mean, why? I mean, we got it. Did y'all get it that Jesus died? You know it? Then why does he keep telling us? Why is it everywhere we look? It's always about this. I think it's that truth. It's that truth that is probably, arguably, the primary motivation for all that we do. It's our understanding that our sins are paid for. And that Christ had victory over what we could not do is the thing that actually causes us to obey Him and love Him and worship Him. It is the primary thing. And yet, I find it so hard to understand but when I get into my own sin and I fall into my own sins, you know, like I snap at my wife. I should never do that. Or I, I get angry with my children because they don't obey the 13th time. I get into myself at those moments. When I'm at that spot, that's the one thing I don't want to think on. It's the one truth I really don't want to meditate on. And it's at that point that Satan often says, you don't care about that truth. Here you are. You act like this. You think like that. Your heart's thinking those thoughts. You must not really care. But folks, this is the truth. This is the thing. This is the crucial point of the message. Christ crucified, resurrected, and reigning. I would say it's more important than anything in my life. It's knowing that my sins are paid for. For it's not until I see that and experience and, and, and am reminded of my forgiveness that is found in Christ that I get up and I start obeying. And so as we have this understanding of Christ and Him crucified, how are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to respond? Well, that's given. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. What is repentance? I've said this multiple times from this pulpit. A thousand times. I would say that there was... And, and you know the interesting thing is? Is that... I give this class, a, a, a Clearwater Christian, and I talk about repentance probably 
Oh, they probably. Any of y'all in my class? None of y'all in my class. They hear this every single week. Every single class. I'm talking about repentance. And then we get them to write out the gospel presentation. And they don't even talk about repentance. I think this this concept is one of the most misunderstood and misunderstood concepts in all of the Bible is repentance. I think people just don't get what genuine belief looks like. All too often we fail to understand repentance means turning from trusting in yourself to turning to trusting in Christ. Embracing, forsaking and living for Christ. There's a dramatic heart change that happens. And it happens every time when we recognize our sin, we don't make a justification for it. And by the way, just because you cry doesn't do it either. It's not that. It's not just saying, oh, man, I did it again. Maybe if I throw a fit big enough, then God will say it's okay. No, that's not it at all. Repentance is acknowledging, recognizing your sin and agreeing with God that I have sinned against you and turning to Him and embracing Christ alone for your salvation and for your sanctification. You need Him. He is your only hope. He is the one you must turn to. This is where forgiveness is found. Now, for the unbeliever, it is found in the atonement of Christ, right? For the believer, it's found in the atonement for Christ, right? Once we are declared right with God, does that mean that we can lose our relationship with God? No, it doesn't. But there can be a fracture in the relationship. We were made to enjoy and delight in our Heavenly Father. And until repentance happens and we turn back and embrace Christ, reminding and acknowledging that it was that sin, even that sin, that killed your son. That's why he had to die. It's that that we now know that we are restored to a right relationship with Him. Does that mean that we lost our standing with Him if we are a believer? No. But... It does mean that we're not enjoying the relationship anymore. When we sin, are we enjoying our relationship with God? No. So what is the message that we proclaim? Christ and Him crucified, resurrected and reigning. Turn to Him, trust Him, forget forgiveness from Him. He's the one. And this is what we proclaim. Notice, would be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, it is about Christ. It is not about us. It's about what He has done. It's not about what we do. The response is repentance. We have seen this pattern over and over in the Gospel of Luke. Someone sees the glory of Christ and what He's done for them, and what do they do? They worship and obey Him. And again, it's not until you understand who He is and what He's done 
that you turn and you embrace Him again and begin to worship and obey Him. The shepherds saw the Christ in the manger and what did they do? They went and reported. They went back glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Jesus healed the paralytic and forgave his sins. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Jesus raises a man from the dead and people respond. Fear gripped them all and they began glorifying God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. The leper was healed and recognized that it was Jesus that did it. Now one of them, when he saw what had been done, that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. The blind man was healed by Jesus. Immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Listen, 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 this is the point. This is the point. This is the point of the whole message. You've seen Jesus over and over and over and over again. So what is our response? Worship. Those verses, love me more than father, mother, brother, sister. Those verses that say things like, You must be willing to pick up your cross and follow me daily. You must be willing to die for me. If you don't aren't willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you have no part with me. Those verses. What do what do you think of when you hear those verses? If your perspective is right, it's privilege. If your perspective is wrong, it's burden. If you understand the Gospel of Luke and who He is, worship is natural. I want to do it. Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to witness? Yes! Is witnessing a burden? No! It's what I want to do. Why? Because we know Christ. He's better. He's worthy. He's all satisfying. And so we are His witnesses. And He says, you are witnesses of these things. Now, when He tells them this, you realize where the word witness comes from. In the Greek, we get our word martyr from the word witness. You know why? Because witnesses for Christ became so synonymous with being martyred that the word actually became known as the one that would die for Christ. Those that would die for Christ. The English word takes the word witness in the Greek, martyr, and turns it into our English word, martyr. Why? We are the dying ones. We are the ones that are dying daily. We're the ones that are crucifying the sin in ourselves and we're also dying to ourselves and we're dying to whatever other people think. We don't fear man. We trust God. We know Christ. He's good. We are His witnesses, aren't we? They were. And out of the eleven, ten out of the eleven died a martyr's death. 
They died a martyr's death. John, tradition says, was boiled. Was boiled before he was put on the Isle of Patmos. Can you imagine? Christians were hung on stakes and used as as torches for the emperor's parties. How do people live like this for Christ? They knew Him. They knew Him. He died. He rose from the dead. He's ruling and reigning. I'm going to serve Him. This is totally different than what we are told in our world about Christ. This is totally opposite. We're told that Jesus wants you to have a better life now. Garbage. Jesus is my life. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. We are witnesses. We worship Him because He's worthy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm still a forgetful sheep. And I'm weak. I'm wimpy. Anybody else in here weak and wimpy? Fall into doubt and discouragement? I've got good news for you. Jesus left and ascended so that the Father would send the Spirit, the promise. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, I'm going to say this probably countless times over the next couple years <laughs> as we go through Acts. I want you to understand that there are some distinctions between an apostle and anybody in this room. Okay? I'm sorry if I'm destroying your worldview. But, but this promise in verse 49 is talking to the disciples. Okay? Now, does that in, do we get included in the spirits and dwelling? Absolutely. No shadow, without a shadow of a doubt, we are indwelt by the Spirit. Got it. I agree. But we must understand that what happens in Acts 2, I have never, ever seen happen again. I haven't seen it again. I'm sorry. I haven't. When the Spirit came on them in Acts chapter 2, it was different. It was dramatically different. It was so different that people thought that there were a bunch of drunk men up on a roof talking in all these different languages, but they didn't even know it. They didn't even understand it. This power that comes from on high takes these weak, wimpy disciples that ran for fear when Jesus was arrested, remember? They ran. And when they ran, what happened? One, a couple of them, one of them lost their clothes. He was running so fast to get away. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Look it up. The reality is, is they were fearful. They were petrified. Peter denied Christ three times. Right? Remember? 
But less than 40 or a little over 40 days later, what happens? This power comes. The Spirit comes. And when the Spirit comes, they became courageous, bold men of God. And what's really amazing, which is really startling, which is staggering to me, when you look at John's account, it says that he will bring to mind everything that I've said to you. I want you to think about that. That means the Word of God is accurate. You know why? Because the Spirit worked to produce to bring to mind everything that Jesus said. How do I know that the Word is good? Because the Spirit was working. He was divinely giving a revelation of Himself to the world and bringing these thoughts and, 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 and events. And the Sermon on the Mount. Let me ask you a question. Could you write a sermon that I spoke 30 years ago? No, because I didn't speak 30 years ago. Sorry. 30 years from now, could you write down exactly what I said? Like Matthew 5? No way! How did that happen? Power came! Huge! The Spirit came and did an amazing work in these men. So that we know exactly who Christ is and what He said. This is the promise of the Spirit. Now, what does He do for us? I would take it one step further than Johnny MacArthur, John MacArthur. I called him Johnny Mac. John MacArthur said this week, I'd take it one step further. I would say He illumines His Word, but ultimately He illumines our understanding of the Gospel. He helps us to understand who Christ is and what He's done through the Word of God. We know the Word because of the Spirit, and we know the Word incarnate because of the Spirit. We know who Christ is, and it always lines up with what? The Word. This is the power. This is the Spirit that lives within us. So you ask me, how in the world am I supposed to obey? How am I supposed to continue to to not doubt? How am I supposed to put to death these sins in my life? Answer? you got the Spirit of God living in you. And through the power of God, you can do it. The Spirit of God works. And He's the one that emboldens us to stand firm. So finally, look at the ascension of Jesus. Now, this is very interesting to me. When you look at the ascension in verses 50 to 53, it's confusing a little bit because... It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. Now, when you look at verse 50, you would think that the third resurrection scene automatically goes into this verse 50, right? Especially with the, and he led them out as far as Bethany. The and usually makes you think, okay, it's tied to the previous verse, right? Okay. In this case, however, I think, I think, and we'll keep working through this, and as of now, I don't believe he's talking about the same event the third resurrection. And the reason why is because he goes up into the sky. And the third resurrection event we saw was tied to John chapter 20, the first resurrection night, correct? So this is probably a preview looking forward. It doesn't tell us the time exactly. It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany. It could have been later. We don't know when, okay? 
We know most likely this is Acts chapter 1 also. This is the same event. So the question is, is he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, are, and, and they after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Now, when we cover this, the question comes to my mind is, why did Luke repeat himself? Because, see, after all, in Luke's account here, Gospel Luke, end of the Gospel, he tells about this ascension scene, right? And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells another story. And he explains the ascension a little bit more, okay? All I would suggest to you is, is that Luke is trying to make a point. And he's summarizing the book, concluding the book, the same way, that, that with the same point that he's made throughout the whole book, the whole book of, uh, of Luke, okay? He's introducing it. He's kind of introducing it to us to kind of get you wanting to read what? The second volume. Do you understand? You read Luke, Luke's account of the ascension. I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I have millions of questions. Let him out to Bethany. Why? Lifted up his hands and blessed him. What's that mean? What was he doing? Praying on him? He went up into heaven. What was going on? What were they thinking? And they, after worshiping, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising him. What were they saying? What were they talking about? What were they thinking about? I mean, isn't it like, give me more? Is anybody else thinking that? I'm definitely thinking, give me more. Guess what he does? He writes Acts, and he gives you more. The second volume, you need it to know the rest of the story. In Acts chapter 1, he gives you the rest of the information. Okay? The end here, he's making one main point, though. And the main point is this. When you see Jesus and you understand who Jesus is, you will respond with worship. That's the point. That's the point of the Gospel of Luke. When you get who Jesus is and what He's done, you will worship. You will praise Him. It will happen. There will be great joy. If you understand who Christ is and what He's done, you will worship. And that's exactly what happens in this scene. As Jesus is taken up into heaven, they do what? They respond in worship. So do you know Him? If you know Him, what should be your response? Worship. The greatest form of worship is what? Obedience. It is. When we obey our Master, we say, You are my Lord. Often we think the greatest form of worship is when my emotions are the highest. We think our, our, emotion, our, our greatest worship event is when our hands are the highest in the air and our heart is most excited and I'm crying. Oh, this is the best worship. Oh, this is great worship. That ain't the greatest worship. The greatest worship is when you obey when it's hard. 
when you do what is right and are persecuted for doing what is right. That, ladies and gentlemen, is worship. When you say Jesus is more important than other people's opinion of me. When you stick with that marriage when it's really, really, really hard. When you love that child that is argumentative and rebellious to you. When that coworker treats you horribly and you look at them and, and you have kind thoughts towards them and you pray for them and you love them. That shows whether you understand who Jesus is. Any of us can drum up some emotions. Haven't had our drums the last two weeks, so it's kind of made it a little harder, right? It's not about that, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about that. Let's worship the King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We need you. Thank you for your spirit that works within us to remind us of Christ and what he's done for us and who he is. Father, forgive us for the countless times where we've made worship more about ourselves than about you. God, help us at our workplace to exalt you. Help us in our families to exalt you. Help us to obey you even when it's hard. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.